Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to part five of Axios Recap's special series on America's business comeback. Today is Friday, May 28th. U.S. consumer spending is up, Bitcoin prices are down, and we're focused on the small businesses that were created during the pandemic. The first four episodes of this series concentrated on challenges facing American small businesses due to the pandemic and how so many of them were forced to either pivot or perish. But today we want to dig into a different group, small businesses that didn't exist before the pandemic. Now, some of these were created by people who got laid off last year, like a woman named Kayla Castaneda who started a beverage company and who we'll speak with later in this program. Lots of other ones were tech startups. Remember, at the beginning of the pandemic, it looked like tech startups were in the same sort of trouble as the corner store. But within just a matter of weeks, it turned into an unexpected boom time. David Cohen is founder of Techstars, a global tech startup accelerator program that's accepted over 1,500 companies since 2006, including notable names like ClassPass and PillPack. If anyone has his finger on the pulse of tech startups, it's David Cohen. So I spoke with him from his home in Boulder, Colorado. So David, big picture question here. How would you say the pandemic impacted Techstars as an organization? Well, Dan, first and foremost, it was a wild year, as as everyone knows. I would say that we had to go virtual. We had, I think, 16 or 18 accelerators running, you know, when stuff hit early last year and switched them into virtual mode. We were lucky in that we had had a virtual accelerator for four or five years. So we sort of knew how to do that playbook wise. So that was a big impact. And then, of course, all of the offices around the world shutting down and the team not being able to be together. I'm sure a lot of people have experienced that. But we got through it using that virtual playbook. And we found that investors were pretty much still investing. Take me back, back, say, in March of last year, March of 2020, when there were so many questions. What advice, generically, were you giving startups that a lot of which were kind of staring into the abyss? We were giving tactical advice, for example, go to your existing investors and ask them to invest more, which is probably the thing we said more often than anything else. And then just get lean and mean, right? Make sure you're not spending money you don't need to spend. But overall, I think what they needed was inspiration in that moment. Early on, I had invested in three or four unicorns in the sort of 2008, 2009 timeframe. So this can be a great time to start a company. This can be a great time to stick with it, not give up as an entrepreneur, because the talent that's out there is going to flow to the opportunities that are surviving. Were you surprised on the investor side that folks did seem willing to kind of do due diligence, meet entrepreneurs virtually, when historically there's been a sense, if I'm going to invest, I'd like to actually, you know, shake the person's hand and be able to look into their eyes? Totally. And Techstars raised a fund during this time. So we had the same experience, right? This is the way it had to work. And so people figured out how to, you know, interview people, get to know people as best they can virtually. Techstars even hired a new CEO, but you have to learn how to do things that traditionally we don't think we've been able to do virtually. You see that with doctor's visits and school and all sorts of things. I'm curious, is there one that comes to mind, an anecdote or company that that you think, you know what, they were not necessarily on the edge, but they made kind of a bold decision and it's paid off? Tasso comes to mind. It's a portfolio company that it was very new. And I actually give a lot of credit to their investors because, you know, they were willing to say, hey, this is a company that can take a blood draw at home on your arm. Those investors decided to really go for it with this company, put a lot of money in and help them move really quickly. And it paid off. There are other companies that literally just had to go dormant. We had companies, you know, that just basically stopped 
doing anything for six or nine months and were able to sort of stay alive until the market started to come back for them. You talked about how sometimes when the broader economics are bad, it is a good time to start a company. Why? Well, I, I think that less people do it, right? So you have a little more concentration of the talent. It's a little easier for investors to pick through the noise, right? To see the things that are really interesting because there's not so many things starting in that moment. And of course, you know, capital and talent and business can flow to those things because there's less to choose from in the market. So when everyone else is deciding to play it safe and, you know, hold on to that job for another year or two to get through this, that is actually a moment of opportunity for entrepreneurs. And we've seen that play out through multiple crises in history. David Cohen, Techstars, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Dan. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper into what it was like to launch a company in 2020 with Kayla Castaneda, co-founder of Agua Bonita. But first, this. We're joined now by Kayla Castaneda of Agua Benita. Kayla, let's start with what is Agua Benita? Agua Benita is the first line of healthy aguas frescas. That's kind of where we got our name, Agua Bonita, Agua Fresca, um, which is just a traditional Mexican drink. Usually it's made with fresh fruit and non-sparkling water and sugar. Um, but Agua Bonita is special in that we don't use any added sugar or chemical sweeteners, just the fruit. And we actually rescue produce as we make our drinks. So all the stuff that isn't pretty enough to make it to the grocery store shelves, uh, makes it into our beautiful cans instead. Why did you create the business? During the pandemic, like tons of other people, Aaron, my co-founder, and I lost our jobs. And so we were at home with all of this new time on our hands. And we had really bonded over a love of beverages. I used to work for Coca-Cola and she was C-suite at a beverage startup. And she had just had a baby. I have two little ones. And we decided, how can life get crazier? Like, let's start a business. <laughs> we really wanted to create something that was just a reflection of ourselves on shelves. And Awas Frescas had always been a part of my family and our traditions as a traditional Mexican-American household. And it just happened to check all the boxes in something that we wanted to create. Can you talk to me a little bit more about the timeline in terms of when you lost your jobs and when you started working together? We lost our jobs in June. June of last year. Of 2020, yes. Um, but we had met at the top of the year. We decided that, you know what, we still want to keep on going. We always say, when life gives you lemons, make aguas frescas, because that's kind of what happened to us. If it doesn't work right now, it's okay. Lots of things are not working, but why not give it a try? All entrepreneurs are kind of mildly terrified to launch a new business, but weren't you particularly terrified about trying to launch a new business in the midst of the pandemic? I don't know if terrified was the right word. I think it was just a very high risk tolerance. If we're going to have this time on our hands, why not try to make something really beautiful come out of it? How did the pandemic impact Agua Benita's launch? It made raw material sourcing 10 times harder than what it normally would have been. Um, there's actually still ongoing international can shortage, um, which was brought on by the pandemic. We're in cans, so that made it really difficult to source some of those things. And then there's just this huge highlight on food insecurity and a long, hard take at how the food systems are in our nation. So that was good and bad. Kind of made us easier able to source surplus produce, but then also just like much more intentional about where we were rescuing and where it was going. Why is there a can shortage? 
Cans are really easy for a lot of folks to take anywhere. They're super portable. And so lots of companies have been switching over. And then I guess there's just been like more beverages being launched during the pandemic because food and beverage is such a like growing category because of all the panic buying and stuff. Also, there's always like those uh, pantry staples that are in cans, you know, just like canned vegetables, all that kind of stuff. So you just needed a ton of aluminum cans. How did you and your partner go about getting access to capital to launch the company? So we bootstrapped things, which was also kind of crazy during a pandemic. Like, let me put my life savings into into a startup. We have won a handful of grants and anything that is an opportunity for free money, I am there. Like, sign me up. I will go pitch my heart out. Um, And then we actually had one angel investor right at the beginning when it was still an idea that gave us a small investment enough for like a pilot to be produced. So we kind of took that money and hit the ground running, poured our life savings into this and then have been winning grants. And now we're like officially formally fundraising. You said you'd pitch your heart out. Was there any kind of network or group that was particularly helpful in that process? The groups that I find most supportive and helpful are usually like minority focused. So we just uh, won a like Nike and Black Girl Ventures pitch competition. Um, Right now, there's so much spotlight on trying to elevate minority voices and people that really, truly want to help minority owned businesses. And so I feel like we often find success with groups like that, people willing and wanting to help elevate, you know, minority women in business. For those who've been listening to this whole series, uh, Black Girl Venture should be familiar because we talked with its CEO, Shelly Bell, back on Tuesday. Kayla, it used to be with Coca-Cola. How did you go about trying to get customers when a lot of the places, for example, that Coke gets customers like restaurants were closed? My work at Coca-Cola uniquely primed me for that problem um, because I worked in market development. So my whole job was like, ways outside of traditional grocery to get in front of folks. Uh, So that actually really, really helped us in making sure that we could like get into the at-home boxes because everyone's ordering groceries to their home. Thinking outside of the box, especially like not being able to sample in grocery stores and being a new brand in general. And we also leaned into social media. Is part of the idea that you want to be in restaurants and you'll get there once they're open? Or is it because of the way you launched, that's just probably not in the cards? Oh, yeah. We would love to be in like quick service restaurants. I think we're a really great to-go option. And I don't think that that aspect of lots of restaurants is going anywhere anytime soon. I know people are like clamoring to get back into the restaurants and have that restaurant experience. But I think there's a lot of us that feel much more comfortable and much less judged about just like getting our food to go or like delivered at home. As a company that launched in 2020, how much did you have to spend on marketing? We have actually spent zero dollars on marketing. We've never run an ad or anything yet. We're deliberate in making our product something that is Instagrammable, <laughs> that people want to take pictures of. And so a lot of that just like user-generated content has fueled our success in that realm. But we've never run an ad yet. We talk a lot about economic recovery, but what does recovery mean to a business that didn't exist before the pandemic? I think for us recovery means being in a position to pay ourselves. (laughs) We haven't paid ourselves at all as we started. That is a big milestone in recovery for us is like, hey, this is not just a dream, uh, but it's a job that we actually 
make a living on. Right now, it is just Erin and I, my co-founder. She's our COO. We are actively looking to grow our team, operation support, and some sales support. We have reached 34 different states, all direct to consumer, and then some boutique and craft retailers in Texas and San Diego. In a couple of weeks, you'll actually be able to buy us on Amazon. And yeah, um, we just came on as part of Kroger's Zero Hunger, Zero Waste cohort. Hopefully, as the year progresses, we'll have more to share with you. Kayla, final question for you. Does Agua Bonita exist if not for the pandemic? Probably not. I would love to say, yes, it would, because it was something that I always really wanted to do. But I don't think without the pandemic, I would have been given the time to focus on it. But that's a beautiful thing about um, getting handed those lemons. (laughs) Kayla Castaneda, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Welcome back. For this week's series of special episodes, we're ending with quick conversations with iconic American small businesses. Today, that business is Wall Drug, the 90-year-old drugstore, restaurant, and roadside attraction in South Dakota. Now, Wall is known for all sorts of things. It's billboards that begin hundreds of miles away. It's 80-foot dinosaur out front. And most recently, it's star turn in the Academy Award-winning film Nomadland. I spoke with Rick Husted the oldest child of Wall Drug founder Bill Husted and the business's current proprietor. I'm uh, Rick Husted. I own and operate Wall Drug Store in Wall, South Dakota. We're in our 90th year of business, and we're uh, the best-loved roadside attraction in America. Rick, is there one anecdote or story that you think kind of best captures Wall Drug's pandemic experience kind of going back since the beginning of last year? This pandemic has been the most challenging year since I've been in business, and I've been in business here for 41 years. I mean, it was very frightening. When you say it was very frightening, was there a time when you thought Wall Drug, which has been around, you know, for more than my lifetime, more than yours, wasn't going to make it? I talked to my mother about it, and she said, you don't think that you could go broke, do you? And I said oh, I I think I have to entertain that possibility. And I said 50% of the independent restaurants that have closed in the country will never reopen. We have to think it's a very dangerous time. Did the PPP help you stay open? We were closed for 70 days. And so that really helped the business financially and made me think we're going to make it through this. Rick, one of the things that's notable about Wall Drug in the past year while the pandemic was going on, your business was heavily featured in what becomes the Oscar-winning movie of 2021. Can you talk to me about what Nomadland has meant to the business of Wall Drug? I mean, we were familiar with Chloe Zhao because she'd shot two other films in South Dakota. So when they contacted us and they wanted to shoot some scenes at Wall Drug... And then this was in 2018, and, and we were on board, very uh, well-respected director. And then we found out that Francis McDormand had the uh, lead role, and that was just amazing. She's my wife's favorite actress. We couldn't believe it. Rick, where would you say Wall Drug is right now in terms of its economic recovery? Well, we're, we're in good shape. I think this will be best season ever. Rick Husted of Wall Drug, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Naomi Shaven, Sabina Singani, and Jeannie Montalvo. 
please be sure to leave us a review and follow or subscribe to the podcast. Have a great National Hamburger Day, and we'll be back tomorrow, yeah, Saturday, with another episode of Axios Recap.